anthem which the choir is singing. It's called the Apple Tree. It's a Scottish folk song. Many of you who are from North Carolina know that uh, when the power looms came in in Scotland years ago, that there were many weavers who were put out of work and they made their way across the Atlantic and came to the coast of North Carolina. Many small crofters or farmers worked their way up into the mountains and they came into these highlands. And uh, here they made home. There are 12 or 13 references in the Bible to an apple tree and also to apples. The Lord compares us to the apple of his eye. This morning, I had an unusual experience. It came about as a result of a letter that I got from a man that I met almost 40 years ago. When I first came to the city of Waynesville in western North Carolina, the largest apple orchard in North Carolina was owned by Richard Neely Barber. A terrible frost came that year and it killed the entire apple crop. It put out of work several hundred workers and it made a very difficult and hard time for apple growers. Dick and I became good friends. He was quite sad at that time. He had been one of those people who in his youth had been quite a rounder. But he was one of those wonderful people that beneath that rough exterior, there was a heart that was sweet and sensitive to the Lord. Because he had a hearing difficulty, he would often be late to church because he couldn't sing in time with the hymns. He would come into our church at prayer meeting on Wednesday night. He loved to come on Sunday night, which always impressed me in a Presbyterian church. And, uh, and uh, he and I often talked about the Lord. We would go fishing up on Fontana Lake together. And so he wrote me, he's now almost, uh, almost 90, and he wrote me down in Florida last winter when I was there and told me about a time in his life when we were together, when he had felt close to the Lord. I gave him a copy of this old mountain Appalachian ballad, which originated in Scotland and has been through several, several revisions, which I had heard. This is a man's conversion. The tree of life, look at it. The tree of life my soul hath seen, laden with fruit, and always green, the trees of nature fruitless be compared with Christ, the apple tree. His beauty doth all things excel. By faith I know, but ne'er can tell the glory which I now can see in Jesus Christ, the apple tree. For happiness I long had sought, and pleasures dearly I had bought. I missed of all, but now I see, tis found in Christ, the apple tree. I'm weary with my former toil. Here I will sit and rest a while. Under the shadow I will be of Jesus Christ, the apple tree. This fruit that makes my soul to thrive. It keeps my dying faith alive, which makes my soul 
in haste to be with Jesus Christ, the apple tree. Let us all bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that your word teaches us that we are the apple of thine eye. And our Lord Jesus Christ is more than the apple of our eye. We thank you, our Father, that he went to a tree where his own body was nailed, where he was riled and spat upon and cursed, and where the curses for those who have broken the law all came down upon him because he died in our place. We thank you that today we celebrate that broken body and that shed blood. We thank you that we celebrate the one who made it possible for us to come boldly to this throne of grace where we may find strength to help in our life of need. We ask you to speak to our minds and hearts through the message, then through the little elements that we touch. We ask you to take the gifts which we bring and superintend their use and grant that they may do good to many people and point them all to Jesus Christ, in whose name we make our prayer. Amen. Take your bulletin, please. <clears throat> if you will turn to our scripture lesson, it's taken from the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do so for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many there are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons 
and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. <clears throat> the title of the sermon is really the outline of the sermon. The Golden Rule, Two Ways and Two Foundations. A favorite way for a teacher to come into a room full of first or second graders and teach them the, um, some importance in using the instruments that will help us to learn is to hand out a piece of paper and to say to each one of them, draw a straight line. And so they will try to draw a straight line. Some lines will waver and some will go another way. And then the good teacher will say, now show this line that you have drawn to the person in front of you. Show it to the one on the left and the one on the right, the person in back. Look at each other's line. Now then, take a ruler, a straight edge. Now let's draw a line. And you draw it by the straight edge. And you draw it by the line that you have drawn. And you see the difference that it makes. There is an old proverb that the only way to tell a stick is crooked is to lay a straight one down beside it. And Jesus gave us a rule, a rule that we talk about as a golden rule because the precepts of it are so high. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's so easy to say that, and yet it's so difficult for us to live up to it. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do so for them. For this is the law and the prophets. In the Old Testament, we were told the negative side of this. Do not do to others what you would not want them to do. That's why in the Ten Commandments we are told that thou shalt not have any other gods. Thou shalt not make any other image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's why you are told thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not 
uh, steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness. But that's the negative side. Here we're told the positive side. The prophets had a mountain on which they would go. And there were two mountains, one called Ebal, one called Gerizim. And on Ebal, the law would be spoken. On Gerizim, the prophets would speak. The cursings would come upon the people who would disobey the law. For the prophets were always telling the people how they had disobeyed the law. But there were glimmers of light that came from those wonderful prophets. Abraham Lincoln I saw some foolish article in Time magazine a couple of weeks ago in which some person wrote an article on Abe Lincoln saying that he did not believe in a personal God. All you have to do is read the second inaugural address. God is mentioned at least 15 times. Uh, it sounds like a page out of Amos uh, or one of the minor prophets. Uh, here he is teaching us that we have a personal accountability to a personal God. And he teaches it in very straightforward language. He used to go to prayer meeting at the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in, in Washington, D.C. And because there were so many office seekers trying to get a pardon to get someone out of the military or to get an appointment for someone else, he would go back in Pastor Phineas Dinsmore Gurley's office and sit there with the door open to listen to the lesson from the prayer meeting. He had a growth in grace as time went by. All you have to do is read his Gettysburg Address. The language that he uses is the language of the Bible. Uh, that's where he picked it up. That's where his oh, remarkable style of prose with its clarity and power came from. And this woman is completely wrong when... She says that he had no belief in a personal God. Uh, a personal God is one who deals with you personally. You're not praying to the force be with you. You are praying to a personal God whom we call Father. Well, here Jesus coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he has given these marvelous teachings concerning uh, our relationships to each other and our relationship to God sums it up by saying if you want to keep all of the law and you want to keep all of the prophets from the plight, what is my plight? My plight is I cannot keep the law perfectly. My plight is I cannot live up to what the prophets have pointed out about me. That's the plight. What is the solution to that plight? The solution is here on this communion table. The solution is the sacrifice that God made in his son on the cross who did keep the law perfectly. He did bless his enemies. He did do good to those who persecuted him. He did not think evil. He kept it perfectly. And then by dying in our place, he gave us the opportunity for a glorious exchange. He said, you give me all that you are, and I'll give you 
all that I am. So that when you take up that little piece of bread, it says to you that just as really as you can touch this and taste it and feel it, just as really did God's son die and his body was broken. The emphasis is on that word broken. I never can get out of my mind being in the highlands of Scotland and seeing those grand old Scottish ministers when they stood up to celebrate the Blessed Supper, take a loaf of bread that had a thick crust across the top of it, and as they broke it, they would tear it, and you could, they were so quiet and reverent in church, and you could hear a person sniffle with tears, and then you would hear the bread crunch. They would say, this is my body broken, and they would tear it. And it came to my heart. His body was broken. Broken for me. Richard White will tell you that his dear father, an agnostic at best for many, many years, who fled from anything religious or Christian or biblical or even close to it, with his 30-odd years in the Navy, in his tough exterior, finally attracted to a Bible class, finally impressed by the dedication of his son's devotion to Jesus Christ, finally pondering what it would mean to make a commitment really to the Lordship of Christ, went into the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Washington. And when they were passing the bread and it came down the aisle and it got closer to him, brilliant man that he is, he knew what that bread stood for. The thought came to him, should I touch and take this bread? Will I let Jesus be Lord over my life? He who had always been wanting to get back at his enemies, he who had always wanted to get his own way must now yield up his sword to one to whom he would surrender. And he took the bread and he made that commitment at Holy Communion and his life came to Christ. Now what Jesus tells us about this summary of the law, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. Then he tells us, enter by the narrow gate. It's funny how we don't like to quote these words from the Lord's Supper. Enter by the narrow gate. I've never seen a narrow gate Presbyterian church. I can remember seeing a colored church in East Texas called the True Vine Baptist Church, which I always thought was a good name. But I've never seen a narrow gate Presbyterian church. I know a Broadway Presbyterian church. But never have I seen a narrow gate Presbyterian church. And here he says, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. We live in a time of the flimsiest, fluffiest Christianity. It demands no sacrifice. Someone was telling me about going to a 
uh, a carnival in Brazil. That's sort of like Mardi Gras, just before Lent starts. And uh, that they saw different religious objects that were being sold while everyone was just rampaging in all kinds of debauchery and sin. And he said that he would never forget walking by a sign that had written in Spanish, cheap crosses. You could buy a cheap cross. Well, that's what we're peddling, is cheap crosses. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that marvelous saint who died under Adolf Hitler's persecution right at the end of World War II. Bonhoeffer spoke of what he called cheap grace, cheap grace. And the grace that Jesus Christ offers is costly grace. Enter by the narrow gate, said Jesus, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. We have too much cheap Christianity today. I remember Corey Tin Boom illustrating this to me one time when she was here in Montreal, uh, the great Dutch lady who suffered so much in a concentration camp of Hitler's because she hid Jews from the awful wrath of the Nazi extermination camps. And uh, Corey was telling me that she had actually been approached by a man who wanted to become a Christian, and he had told her that he was a pickpocket. And Tori, Corey said, you must change your way of life. For the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. And he said, uh, I have been stealing 10 or 15 wallets a week. What if I only stole five wallets this week? And Corey said, no. That's not it. You give your whole life over to the Lord. You don't have a Christian house of prostitution. Uh, you would think that if you watch television. Uh, poor Dan Quayle got into it with Murphy Brown when all he was trying to do was to say that uh, there was honor in having a family where a single mother worked. My mother was single and raised seven children. My father died when I was 14 months old. He was talking about a home that ought to be a home. He wasn't trying to get into their idiocy on television. We're going to have eyes the size of cantaloupes and brains the size of a pea uh, if, if we keep following that one. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. Beware of false prophets. That's that floor show Christianity. Who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. That's honest moral judgment. An artificial apple won't even fool a fly. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, 
but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. I learned years ago, I've always loved an, uh, an open fireplace and the privilege of watching a fire burn. And there are different kinds of woods that you can burn that smell good. Hickory is a good smelling wood. Uh, the nut woods are that way. Hickory is what you smoke barbecue or, or the, all those things that are full of cholesterol that you, you can get with. But the hickory smoke has a, has a pungent odor to it that's nice. And Richard Barber introduced me to apple wood because when the trees were smitten and no longer produced good fruit, the apple trees are cut down and new apple trees are planted. An apple tree wood burns beautifully, blue flames, and it has a pungent smell to it. Uh, if you let that dry, that fruit wood uh, has a great smell to it. And, but you only get that when, uh, when they have to cut the trees down because they're no longer producing fruit. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You don't get there. You know, the Negroes have a great old spiritual that I used to hear as a boy. Had a beat to it that was terrific. Everybody's talking about it. Heaven ain't going there. Heaven. See that sister dressed so fine? She ain't got Jesus on her mind. See that brother dancing there? He ain't going to climb the golden stair. And uh, they, they would be... They had a beat to it. What they were trying to say that there was a demand in the Christian life for a change. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I wonder sometimes what the Lamb's book of life looks like in comparison with the church role. The only book that counts is the Lamb's book of life. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and he comes from the golden rule, the two ways, to the two foundations. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Look at that swath of houses blown away in Florida. You can tell what kind of foundations that many of them were built from. A man who built his house upon a rock Sometime write a devotion on this and call it the building code. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. It was on a foundation. 
and it would stand. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and it fell. And then there is great emphasis and solemnity in what Jesus says. And great was the fall thereof. Our dear friend, Russ Hallickson, who also loves Scotland and used to be down at Flora MacDonald College and I guess thinking about that Scottish song that came over to the Appalachian Mountains made me think of it. But I had a great old professor in Edinburgh whose name was James S. Stewart. And I used to go to a place called uh, the Cowgate. And um, there had, during the covenanting days in the 1600s, 1661, in fact, to be precise, June the 1st, 1661. There was a man by the name of James Guthrie who was the knight of Christ's covenant. He was one of those who took his own blood and signed the oath of the covenanters that they would live to their strict principles of Christian faith and not bend the knee to what was being imposed upon them from the dreaded English dragoons. And this covenanter, James Guthrie, was lying on a bed of straw in a dungeon. He had a servant. Then your servant would be allowed to stay with you overnight on the night before you would die had a servant whose name was James Cowie, C-O-W-I-E. And he was with him, and James Cowie was so full of sadness that his master, James Guthrie, was to be executed that day. And James Cowie could not sleep, and he awoke early and remembered that this was the day of his dear master's execution and their last day together on earth. And he started to sob, to weep. And his sobbing woke his master up. And his master, James Guthrie, looked at him and patted him on the shoulder and said to his servant, and I read, no more of this. Come, come, no more of this. And then he pointed to the beams of sunlight that had started to shine through the prison bars. And he said, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And they committed his soul to the Lord and to the Christ of the resurrection, the vanquisher of death, the one who was able to keep him in that hour. And he went out to the execution, chanting 
a psalm knowing that the Lord was with him. And Jesus said, because I live, ye shall live also. Let's bow in prayer. The stars shine over the earth and the stars shine over the sea. The stars look up to the mighty God and the stars look down on me. The stars will live for a million years, for a million years and a day. But Christ and I shall live in love when the stars have passed away. Lord Jesus, there may be some person here this morning who, like Richard's dad, has never felt worthy to let go and let God take his life. If that person is here and is willing today to let Jesus be Lord, make them to know that his body was broken, broken for them, and let them touch that bread and take that cup and be assured of Jesus' love that all that can be kept of the law and the prophets have been kept by him. That he has led us to the narrow way that leads to heaven, which is through his lordship over our life. That he has caused us to stand on Christ, the solid rock, and help them to take up the cup and to be his good, faithful servant, knowing that he will guide them through his word and the fellowship of his servants and his church. We know that in this world in which we live, that kingdoms wax and wane, that crowns perish, presidents go out of office, leaders are gone, but the church of Jesus, faithful, will remain. So take hold of our hearts and make us what we ought to be as we examine ourselves and rededicate ourselves through this communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of preparation is the familiar hymn, Just As I Am Without One Plea. We will sing only the first, third, and fifth stanzas of it. I believe it's found on page 272 in the uh, red hymn book, and it's printed in your bulletin as well. Let's sing one, three, and five. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. That's your invitation to come to Christ.